Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you and enjoy. In the gospel today, we hear about this mention of the Jews and kind of interrogating or questioning John the Baptist, and it's kind of really meaningful to me because just yesterday, uh, yesterday around one o'clock, I drove up to Michigan and I got back by 9.30 last night for my niece's bat mitzvah. So you're not going to have any other priest in the diocese tell you that what they, that's what they did on a Saturday. But I did. I did it. I had a yarmulke on, the whole deal, all right? Uh, the security guard at the temple, I tried to make a joke, uh, but he didn't laugh. I, uh, I asked him, I said, how many priests have been here today? And he said, you're the only one. I said, okay, but I guess it didn't go over well. Bad joke, I guess. But, you know, I was up there just kind of... Uh, you know, it was this temple that seats like 500 and only an immediate family was allowed. And they're more, they're more locked down than any of the Catholic churches even. So, I mean, we're all spread out. I think my nearest family member I could have called would have been easier to get a hold of them. They're on the other end of the temple. That's a beautiful temple. And just, it kind of reminds me every time I go back to my family in Michigan and I see the temple images, just, we are so much more Jewish than we ever realize. I mean, things like, we call it a sanctuary in an ambo. They have the same setup. It's called a bima. Right? They have the Torah, which they take out of a gold box called the Ark. And it is God's way of living that they unroll and read from. What do we pull out of our Ark? Actually, God's way of living in flesh for us. And so we're just so much more Jewish. And a lot of great scripture scholars over the last 30 years have been writing books more and more about how, how would a first century Jewish man or woman have heard Jesus' teachings? Or when he did gestures, what was their worldview or backdrop by which they would have appropriated the meaning of his gestures? And it just kind of jumps off the page. Scriptures become so much more alive. And of course, that's where the first meaning comes from. We could sum up the whole spirituality of the Old Testament as a spirituality of waiting, hoping, longing. Every good Jewish man and woman for hundreds of years were formed in the prophets. And the prophets were the voice of God for them. And what God kept promising is, there's going to be this figure that I send to you. This figure is going to be my anointed one, my chosen one, the one I set apart from everyone else who is alive at that time and who has ever lived and who will ever live. This mysterious figure known as the Christ. And God kept promising it's through this one, the Christ, the anointed, the one I'm going to send into the world that I'm going to set everything right. Now, I don't think we need the Bible or theologians to tell us that things are off. You can watch the news, read a newspaper, or try sitting alone for 20 minutes and hear your own heart. You're going to know something's off in this world. Between our judgments, our fears, our regrets, our angers, our unforgiveness, our attachments to pride, envy, anger, lust, loneliness, you name it, it's coming out of us, and we only have to look at family dynamics or the news to see what's coming out of us is also coming at us. Something's off. 
And then the church has the audacity to say, rejoice. All of that, and here we are on the third Sunday, and the church is saying, look, we're going to dress our priests up in pink and tell you to be happy. (laughs) So I'd like to enter into this notion of rejoicing for a little bit. You and I can never tell someone how to feel. I don't know what that sounds like or feels like to you, but we're really bad at treating each other's emotions. Right? How often do you say to your kid, to your spouse, to your friend, oh, you shouldn't feel that way? Well, they do. So quit saying it. Oh, you shouldn't be sad? They are. When people say these things, it reveals their uncomfortableness with being unable to help another. What they really don't like is that someone I care about is feeling something negative and I just want it to stop for them. Well, the desire is beautiful, but you can't just simply be like, you shouldn't feel that way. Don't be sad. Be happy. Well, if that worked, we'd have, the, uh, we'd have all of our psychologists bankrupt. That doesn't work because it's not human and it kind of reveals the fact that you think emotions could somehow be like a magical potion that removes them. Abracadabra, now you're happy. So when the church says rejoice, God, through St. Paul in the church, is not saying, just be happy. Everyone should just be happy now. We get to wear masks. Just be happy. You don't have to like worry about if you have a goatee or not. Be happy. Ladies, you don't have to buy lipstick. Be happy. No one knows. What the rejoicing command of God is to us is see things differently. It's as if God, like a loving father or a tender spouse, is saying, can I show you how I see things? Can I reveal to you a different way of seeing the world? And I'm telling you, if you see it my way, God says, your heart will rejoice even while it weeps. There will be a fundamental hope and an openness to good things. So what is this? What is God trying to tell us? What he's trying to tell us is that the one we're waiting for is not a drill sergeant. The one who's going to come and set things right is not interested in having power over you and over me. He's interested in loving you and loving me. He's not interested in deleting your story, but in completing your story. St. John the Baptist knew that people's notion of God was marred with darkness. Oh, the Christ is going to come as a military figure. That's what a lot of first century Jewish men and women thought. He's going to come as this powerful general, and Israel is going to fight off all the surrounding nations, and that's how God's reign will be established. And John the Baptist was so excited to testify to the light, because the light is the truth, and the truth of God is that he is not a dictator. He is not a secular Lord. He is not corrupt. He doesn't have a fragile ego. He's full of goodness and love. And the number one attribute of God 
is mercy. John the Baptist was telling people, repent. Not because if you don't, he's going to get you. He's saying, repent. So that when he comes, you're ready to let go of your sins. Did you know that you and I have sins we actually like? I know you don't want to admit it, but let's just say I'm right, okay? We like anger. It makes us feel strong when we got hurt. We like gossip because it makes us feel bonded and that that person has a problem, but we're fine. We love lust because it helps us numb out stress. We love pride and haughtiness because we get to feel like we're good and they're bad. It's us versus them. We like that push comes to shove, we can offer a little lie and then no one needs to know how broken I am and they won't run away and abandon me. So they'll think I've still got it together and they'll still love me. Sin offers us friendship and we often take its hand. And over time, we can grow in affection. And so when St. John the Baptist is saying repent, what he's saying is break off that friendship and wait with a lowly little heart crying out to God, have mercy on me. The first reading, it said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. All right, another way of saying that is Jesus saying to us, I have been anointed, I'm the Christ, to do what? To proclaim freedom to the imprisoned. Good news to the lowly of heart. You and I rebel from admitting that we're the lowly, we're the imprisoned, we're the broken, we're the needy. We want to constantly be fine. Hey, how are you? Fine. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, good. Everyone's fine. We're all fine. Everyone's good. And then at the beginning of every Mass, the church removes that spiritual mask and has us admit, we ain't fine. Every Mass, the church has us proclaim, Lord, have mercy. I need your mercy. This past week, Pope Francis declared from December 8th, this past week, to December 8th of 2021, the year of St. Joseph. It's 150th anniversary from when St. Joseph was named the protector of the church. And in honor of that, Pope Francis wants us to spend a year with St. Joseph, praying, talking with him, asking for his prayers, studying. But he wrote a document. I brought it here. It's like seven pages, maybe 10 pages. You could read it in 20 minutes. But on the third page, there's one of the attributes of St. Joseph that is also an attribute of God, and he calls it the tender mercy. I'd like to unpack a little bit of this so you know why the church says rejoice. He talks about the history of salvation, God's plan for fulfillment, we like to think happens through our better parts. When we get things right, when things are going well, man, God's really working. He said, however, if you read the Bible... It actually works out oftentimes in spite of us. God's constantly working with Moses who murdered a man. Saul murdered a man and then became St. Paul. Peter's denying him three times. Judas betrays him. 
And yet the plan keeps unfolding. And he says that since our weaknesses are a part of salvation, we need to look upon our weakness with tender mercy. The evil one makes us see and condemn our frailty, whereas the Spirit brings it to light with tender love. Only tender love, the Pope says, will save us from the snares of the accuser, the devil. The evil one can speak to us of truth. He can tell you you're weak, you've sinned, you're broken. But he says he only does this to condemn where God's truth does not condemn, but welcomes, embraces, sustains, and forgives us. Why do we rejoice this Sunday? Because mercy himself is running to you. Why do we rejoice? Because the one who has the power to take away your sins, like a vacuum, to take them away. They're no longer yours. They're his. He suffers them on the cross for us. He's coming to you, not with a hammer, not with a gavel, not with a machine gun, not with a court order, not with a prescription of medicine, but with an open heart to say, I bleed for you out of tender mercy. I love you like no one in your life loves you. And the only thing I'm asking from you is to let go of pretending and to say, I need you. That's all he asks. So why do we rejoice in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of presidential transitions, in the midst of economic crisis, in the midst of loneliness because we can't meet with family members in the holiday time, in the midst of 15% church occupancy at best. Why, why would we rejoice? Because the one who can enter your heart does so with tender mercy. That the God of the universe The cause of the Big Bang is a whisper of love. The one with power is the one whose hands are pierced and says, can I hold you? Jesus is not interested in condemning us. He's inviting us to repent. That is to say, in the the Greek, metanoia, to change our perspective to see that sins don't disqualify us. They actually qualify us for mercy. And therefore, to be Christians and to witness to a world that loves sin and haughtiness, that it's okay to be little, weak, and in need because God is that good. And so, in fact, we rejoice. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.